0: week it's our first anniversary and uh, joining me today is regular co-host Dave hello how you guys doing semi-regular co-host Jeff (laughs) hey everybody (laughs) and special anniversary guest star studio head at rare Craig Duncan
1: hey it's a it's an honor to be here on your anniversary I, I feel feel honored and privileged and then we, we oh
0: believe me the pleasure is all ours trust me <laughs> yeah
2: yeah we, we definitely really appreciate you taking the time out of our day to you know take part in our silly little anniversary so <laughs> we really appreciate it
1: i i think even if you count this time and and what we've got like an hour or something like i think that's proportionally to all the time you guys spend talking about Rare or playing Rare games I, I, I think an hour is a small, a small amount of time relative to that
2: oh, yeah, that, <laughs> that is true, true.
0: <laughs> Yeah, I think we just checked our Xbox logs a few weeks ago and uh, between us we must have racked up about 30 days Rare replay, all combined. <laughs> Something like that, I, yeah. I know
2: there's no one higher on my friends list than the three of us, so <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs>
1: Uh, and, it, and it it is funny that because even even for the rare guys because obviously like we we play everything a ton when we're mm-hmm. making it um, but then you know almost like when you know when the discs get pressed and the digital download goes up and you can download it like that's almost the point where everyone in the studio stops right um, just just because it like everyone's kind of played it to death and I, I know some of the guys obviously did go in and, and kind of clock rare replay but um, yeah, it's it's great to uh it's great to see people just, just playing it and having fun. It's awesome.
2: Yeah. No, thanks for putting it together. Like I know a lot of people were like probably laughed at me, but that seeing that rare replay trailer at that E3 was like one of the most exciting moments I've had in E3 for years.
3: Yeah, as a rare fan. Yeah, was, as a rare fan beautiful. and just
2: you know, <laughs> Yeah, I get that. Like all these old games are available ever, every you know, other places. But just having them all in like one spot, an easily accessible way, is just amazing and just just great as a rare fan to have the ability to do that now.
1: Yeah, and it and it was definitely, and I, I think I've I've kind of told this story a, a ton of times, but it it was definitely a cool thing to put it together for the studio and and you know for people that have been in the studio a long time, right right through to people joining. Um. I guess for me, we, we debated the reveal trailer and, and how we were going to reveal it and how we were going to talk about it for a long time. It, it's only, and, and credit to the marketing guys for the, the banners in the spotlight coming up with a different rare IP. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause it, I, I mean, again, there was a, a lot of uh, debate on whether that was the right way of doing it. But as I was standing backstage before coming out and the banners came up and people were cheering and the cheers were getting louder and louder and louder. Um, that's probably the moment at E3 where I was like, "Oh crap!" Like people really, really care about this stuff, and like, like, "Oh, I better not go screw this up." Because <laughs> um, <laughs> up until that, I was like, "Yeah, the trailer's good, and the demo's good, and I know what my talk track is," and I, I was kind of cool as a cucumber. Um, just like I say, standing behind there and just hearing people literally kind of lose their shit about reg, about the games that we'd put in there. I'm just like whoa okay like um that's when all the kind of hair starting on the back of the back of my neck and you know throat went dry and i'm just like okay like let's let's do this
0: <laughs>
3: <laughs> wow must have been surreal
0: <laughs> yeah i can only imagine but you but, did a pretty good job though when you came out in between because it was in between the rare replay and the sea of thieves reveals wasn't it that you came on stage and did your little bit and yeah, I, uh Sorry, go
1: on. Uh, I, I, that, yeah, that was I- exactly it. And we'd always, I mean, it was always the, the idea of, you know, celebrating Res 30 years and then, you know, transitioning into a into a new IP. Um, and what was awesome is obviously nothing on Sea of Thieves had leaked. Up until, I think there was a compilation Rare leak, like on the morning of E3. I think Kotaku mm. broke something um without yeah. real details or, or or the kind of um anything specific but see if these like which was awesome like no one was expecting um so we still got to do a big reveal which was uh yeah i, I i'm just kind of pleased for the studio because when stuff leaks it just gets annoying yeah
0: yeah, yeah. well I, I can remember that morning um like there was a lot of discussion about rare um on various websites i think it was mainly dk vine the DK Vine forum where I was posting at that time and um a lot of people seemed convinced you were going to announce a big new project but instead of thinking of new ideas everyone was saying oh which IP are they going to bring back mm. and I remember when when the Sea of Thieves trailer began I was looking around I was thinking oh hang on is that Banjo oh no wait no that's Conquer." and then when I realized what was happening I was like wait they've they've gone and created something totally new like <laughs> this is even better than we expected
1: you know, it was just amazing. Yeah, and when you do those trailer designs, you're kind of trying to put your put your mind in 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 the kind of mind of the audience, really. And it's it's just like, how do we reveal it? So you know, Robin's pirate music kicked in, and we show the like. Yeah, I remember the trailer vividly because, like, you think you guys see e three, we see it like a thousand times on the run of <laughs> right. from concepts up into. 2e3 as, we, as we're iterating on it, and you know, the the kind of looking up at the sun and the hand, and the like the glove was a bit piratey, but and then Robin's music kicks in, and then you know, you see the parrots kind of break from the trees, and you know, the skeleton kind of pinned to the tree, like in all, all those little details. We were trying to just unravel it step by step and just try and like, is that pirate music? Like, what Rez making it like is. Is it like pirates that were in a previous site? Like I mm-hmm. just trying to get people to Because uh, you you just want to excite people and get them get them excited about what we're doing. Which I think it worked.
0: <laughs> Absolutely oh, <for> sure. Yeah,
2: <laughs> it,
1: it seems like the excitement
2: has just been increasingly building for Sea of Thieves. Like it, it was like wasn't quite as much at first cuz people weren't sure but then like every time there was a bit of news or a new bit of footage and stuff like it's been like kind of like a slow burn and i feel like it really like like this last E3 when everyone got their hands on it there's like the buzz that i've you no know, heard from people coming out of that was like yo this is one of the best games on the show and we're so excited and i i i i'm sure you've probably got that impression too being there at the show but it's it's been really amazing just to see that amount of buzz about Rare and just from like, you know, people who don't follow it like I have as being like a long time fan, hear people just like regular gamers who don't really know that much about the studio's history. So like, yeah, that like, that Sea of Thieves games look really awesome. And then all the old fans are, you know, the same way. It's like, man, Rare's finally making that pirate game that it always felt like they should have made, you know.
1: Yeah, and and that's it, and you know, you guys like can tell can tell the history of rare way better than i can uh, and don't test me on that because because I, I know you'll win um but but it is that you know like people like you guys you know other like rare just in what it's done over those uh over the years you know since it since it was formed at that kind of 30 31 years now i guess um you know just just had you know created like many many fans of different games and and some people collectively kind of recognize the games and say, hey hey we're rare fans and and you know for us as, as you know game makers in the studio that's, that's just kind of super humbling just to have people be fans of your your work and what the studio's done and the legacy but kind of when you bring a new ip to market like that that's kind of not enough like because you know games very complex, cost a lot of money to go make. And, and you know, obviously we want to do something that all the fans of the studio and the previous IP, IPs like really, really embrace. But then it's like, okay, how can we do something that is relevant in, you know, 2016, 2017, that new, new gamers, like people maybe that, you know, don't know Rare, I mean, my son my son's a huge gamer, he's 13 years old. The only reason he really knows Rare is because I work for Rare. Um, and of course, he played rare replay and stuff. But you just think of anyone that's not probably of our generation that grew up gaming in the, you know, 80s and 90s. Pro- probably hasn't got that that fondness. And, um, right. and new IP new IPs are hard. Like it's you know just mm-hmm. to get enough, um, you know, momentum and excitement, and just just to to make a new IP stick. I mean, because Sea of Thieves not yet like hasn't got the you know five to 10 million fans that halo's got or gears have got or you know forza or minecraft or the the hundred million fans minecraft's got
3: (laughs) um
1: so so we've got to build that and we've got to build it from scratch which is a it's a pretty big challenge when you think about it that way
0: well yeah and it's interesting because i suppose back in the 90s um during like especially the nintendo 64 era i think rare could um they could kind of afford to take more risk with new ip because back then game development was a lot shorter and you could kind of split the studio into three or four different teams working on all these individual projects but the way the industry's evolved over the last 15 years i guess it's i mean i don't know but i'm assuming it's the majority of the workforce have to focus on one triple a game so to attempt that with a new ip it's uh it's definitely a risk worth taking and and it looks like it's really paying off based on the e3 reaction like david mentioned before
1: yeah i mean you're right like it's it's and i'm not saying it was easy to make games back in back in the 90s but that there, there were less games yeah there was less yeah. internet social media um yeah obviously you needed less people to make a game therefore you know the budget was lower like you know, people in time, like, you know, salaries are are our biggest cost, I think, like any uh, creative industry, you know, same as film or, um, you know, animation production or anything like that. It it really is, you know, the amount of time you spend and, and, you know, the talent of the team. So, and you're always looking at at kind of what's, you know, what's going on in, in the industry as well, you know, so for a game to be you know for a new ip to stand apart now it's got to do something different and it's got to be innovative and it's got to it's got to give people an experience or show people something that maybe they've not had before um and and all those but it's got to be competitive with how how you know what people expect of games now i mean it, we, the funny thing going back and playing some of the stuff we put in rare replay um is you know you see things like camera controls just aren't super great on some of these games that were you know absolutely fine and that was acceptable in the 90s against their their competitive set but you know there's a reason the the, the Paul and and uh, James and the guys went back and redid the controls on uh uh JetForce Gemini and that's because kind of were a bit sucky like it's mm. <laughs> and and you you go back and and uh, and I just think you know games now like it's such a such a fantastic medium, and just like the games that are out there are, are just incredible. Um, right. And then if you're going to kind of come out with a new IP, you you've got to you've got to do something different, not not necessarily bigger and better. Just for us, definitely different and something that will stand out and give people a game experience that they've not had before.
2: Right, certainly looks to do that. Like. <laughs> Even I I know it's the silliest thing, but I know you probably hear it a lot. But just watching that water, like I feel like I'm just gonna spend my first hour playing, just sitting on the bridge, staring at the water. <laughs> like I don't know, just it's 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 a simple thing, but it's like just something that I don't think I've seen look that good in a game before. And then just add on more and more things on top of that until you have this big immersive world. I think it's definitely a very unique experience, and I can't wait to finally get my hands on it.
1: Yeah. And and, you know, we've had, we've had great feedback from everyone that's played. And, and even that is like, you know, it again, super humbling, really awesome to hear, but it's kind like, we enjoy it and we think we've got something good. Um, but you know, the, and I, I think I said this to, uh, to Jeff before is like the first time we had the guys in the studio play it when we, we invited the fans and the competition winners in, um. Like just watching, you know, Joe and Greg and Mike and and Brian and and Andy and the team, like they were, they were super nervous. And like <laughs> we'd been playing this thing for weeks, and they and like you could just see it on their faces. They're just like, hey. like because again, I think it was that it was that moment. It's like, oh, like other people are going to play this, and what if they don't like it? And what if there's stuff they hate? And and same when we rock up at E3, it's like. Hey, we felt confident about what we were going to go and show and let people get hands on with, but, but never really know, like, you know, and, and, uh, just to then see people smile and see the reaction. And, and then, like you say, people talk about it, they tell their friends, they tweet about it, they share, um, and it just becomes this, this kind of massive ball of momentum that everyone gets really excited and it's like, okay, great. Okay. There's there's some validation that what we think is really cool and special, like you know gamers think art is really cool and special
2: right yeah absolutely (laughs) so um craig moving on a little bit from what we're talking about i thought it'd be kind of cool to maybe talk a little bit about your background and were you did you have any favorite uh rare games growing up as in you know or i don't know uh if you were playing the Spectrum stuff, or or when you first sort of uh, got into playing their, being introduced to their games, and just kind of, you could talk a little bit about that.
1: Yeah, it, um, I mean, I guess, like I say, I, I was, I was sort of lucky. So I was born in, born in nineteen seventy seven. So I, I kind of grew up playing games in the eighties. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I didn't have a Spectrum. Like I got a, um, like a Commodore Plus Four. It was called back mm-hmm. in. Um, I think I maybe was eight, nine at the time. So probably 86, 87. Um, and I had a, uh, I had a friend of mine that had a Commodore 64 and that had a lot of the same games that were kind of better. Uh, and then another friend of mine that had a spectrum and, and I guess, you know, back then eight, nine years old, I kind of, you know, didn't really appreciate who made which games, but, mm-hmm. but you mm-hmm. know, definitely remember playing, playing a few games. Um, and then really from that, you know, my, um, my brother-in-law had an Amiga, which again just kind of sort of blew my mind at the time with some of the games that, um, that they had. And for me, my first kind of console really, and I, I went back and as a bit of a collector bought, bought kind of older consoles, but the first console I really remember getting excited about was the SNES and uh all the super Nintendo entertainment system and you know it was it was obviously you know Street Fighter two was was the kind of big marquee game and then KI from that so you know myself and a group of friends of mine played a lot of played a lot of Street Fighter Two and then you know KI with all its rendered graphics and like that that was probably the moment where I went Oh, like rare. Okay, you know, spinning logo. Like, and I remember playing with Jago and mastering all the combos, and like that kind of took over the the Street Fire thing. And then, and at this time, I'm, I'm probably maybe twelve, thirteen. So it's, it's like we're into the early nineties here. What well, I guess 90, 93, 94, mm-hmm. So I'm maybe a older than that, fifteen, sixteen. Um, yeah, I
0: think I think Killer Instinct was ninety four. Yeah, yeah, I'm pretty sure.
1: At least for the
2: arcade so, release, and the, the the SNES version could have been a year later, but I might have to double check.
1: Yeah, so, so maybe maybe later than that actually. So yeah, maybe, maybe even you know kind of mid mid teens. And I remember another friend of mine uh, who had uh, a chap called Dean who had a uh, Nintendo Entertainment System, and and went around and we used to play some um, some of his uh, Nintendo games, and that's when I first came across Battletoads. Um, uh. Ah. And it's kind of like, ah, right. Okay. Um, and I realized I'd kind of played that before, um, through another friend of mine, um, who, who also had it there. So, cause I think back then, you know, you, you kind of, again, like, you know, no social media, it really was like, you know, you'd go out and, you know, play football or whatever in the, in the streets or, or kind of knock around in the streets. And then, you know, when it got dark, you just go around each other's houses. Um, and that was probably my exposure to um you know the nes and the mega drive and like cuz console again people had you know one one computer or one console back then mm-hmm. um so i remember like i remember playing battletoads i remember playing ki um and and some of those things shaped my gaming. I then kind of took a bit of a detour into PC gaming, and then bought a PlayStation. So I kind of missed the N64 thing the first time round, um, and then subsequently bought an N64. And yeah, you know, and this this is the, the kind of boring part of the story. But you know, I, I did a paper round, Um, not like Paperboy, the arcade machine, because that was cool. Like <laughs> like like a big like a big sack of papers that you know, was really heavy and took too long. And, you know, I actually did two paper rounds for two different news agents. One, I earned £12 a week, one, I earned £13 a week. So with my £25 a week, which, you know, again, at, at kind of 15, 16 years old was, you know, a fair amount of money. I'd kind yeah. of buy games, um, albeit games being pretty expensive back then. Um, and I remember, again, some of those, you know, SNES games and and, and others being, you know, 50 pounds yeah,
0: mm-hmm. which oh they're even they're even more than that mate i remember um <laughs> when i got duncan country 2 from Woolworths about six months after it came out and it was 59.99 yeah
1: <laughs> i think i bought mine from woolworths and and i think i actually bought my snes from woolworth's i think i got money for christmas that year and went out and bought bought my snares so yeah you're right i mean it was the it was the kind of big cardboard box and and it felt like you got something um oh yeah but then after after doing you know like I say a bit of pc gaming and, and back when pc gaming was was very rough and playing things like descent and you know doom and like just just really kind of super early pc stuff mm-hmm. playstation came out got one of those uh i think i may have imported my first one with, with some games and then there was lots of talk around um the N64 quite late in life cycle through uh, around Goldeneye and I'm kind of mm. like okay so so again late to the party I went and picked up a, a used N64 um that had a copy of Goldeneye and then I went out and you know bought Banjo and and I think just at that point I I think the the kind of gaming bug hit me and and you know amongst all my friends uh at school like you kind of get known as like oh craig plays games like he knows about games um and i guess you know probably unlike now gaming then was still a bit bit offbeat and a bit nerdy and yeah Mm -hmm. uh, yeah yeah yeah, it wasn't like you know like my son going in now and him and all his friends play fifa and him and all his friends play xbox or playstation Mm -hmm. um yeah there was definitely like there was a kind of hardcore fifteen twenty kind of friends I knew that were big gamers and then probably all the other kids of that age you know weren't really gamers but they'd come around and play um when when invited so so gaming just like became a big a big part of my life through through my kind of formative um teenage years I guess awesome.
3: yeah so what at what point did you realize that you wanted to go into the games industry like was it when you were young or was it kind of after you'd <laughs> gone into adulthood and realized that that's that really was a career path
1: yeah i mean it, it was very late i i guess um i you know, maybe maybe i didn't realize it maybe it just uh, it just wasn't apparent but it, it didn't it didn't clock to me that people made games um i i think i'd made the connection of like hey you know this this kind of shiny spinning gold r logo like they're good games so Mm -hmm. like i think i would clocked the brand recognition of like oh i like their games and like i say i you know i was a big amiga gamer so you know things like team 17 um some of their early stuff you kind of recognize logos and Mm -hmm. when publishers or labels had new games you you'd go seek them out and obviously the nintendo stuff like is just a bar a bar unto itself right um so I but I didn't really translate that into there must be people and companies that do this um so for me I, I kind of you know went into work I, I kind of studied A-levels for a bit um actually kind of quit my A-levels when did a summer job uh got into an engineering company and and just kind of probably like most people do when they're you know i'm I'm probably 18 19 years old at this point it's like hey like i'm earning money that's awesome i can buy games and music and 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 the stuff that i enjoy you know i'm still living with my parents like i i still like my disposable income is kind of mine mm-hmm. um and then just kind of went on a career path and gaming became very much just a that's how i de-stress you know so i'd play ISS soccer with my friends or I'd, you know, and that turned into pro Evo and, and, you know, you, you'd, you'd kind of gaming was just the thing we did on a Saturday night when mates came around and we ordered some pizzas and we're all adults at this point, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, gaming was just the thing, the social thing. Um, and again, what, what bore you with, with kind of early career stuff, you know, I worked for a couple of engineering companies, went to work for a software company, um, and that was where I kind of went. Okay, you know, teams make software. I mean, we made software for aerospace and automotive and some fairly hardcore embedded software systems. Wow. And I'd, I'd, uh, I, I, I kind of got you know a bit of bit of a name for just you know being a project manager. And I used to do process engineering for for the, for for those kind of businesses. Um, and then very very long story short, we. Yeah, had a little difference of agreement on where that company should go. You know, myself and and one of the other managers wanted to take it in one direction. And um and we looked at, you know, whether it's like do we do a management buyout and and I just kinda got to the point where it's like, okay, I, I'm not sure my futures with this company doing this. And um and it was just at that time, um, you know, probably I'm just trying to think back, maybe early two thousand and three where games were just getting big and becoming multi-million pound projects with lots and lots of people, you know, you were in this kind of Xbox uh, PS2 era. uh, And there was a lot of games companies looking outside of games. So for me, like as, you know, basically a professional kind of software engineering manager and project manager, I'd seen a few games adverts and one of them was uh, Codemasters, which was a Midlands based company. Again, I'd recognised them through games I played, you know, through multiple generations. Um, and they were like, Hey, we're, like we're after a development manager and I read through and it's like, Hey, you can manage game projects. And, and I think at that moment it was literally a light bulb where I went, Hey, I can manage people and projects and software. And I, I love games and I, like i can i'll take the gaming pepsi challenge with anyone like i've spent (laughs) i've spent the last you know 20 years of my life playing games um so i so i kind of rocked up and and did an interview and managed to convince them and and they were super underwhelmed that someone that hadn't made games before you know they were like things on the job advert hey must have shipped you know two games already must have been involved Mm -hmm. in a triple a release or like online was just coming in there. Hey, like you've had some online experience. So I, I just go in this massive sales pitch and I'm like, look, I can develop software. I can run teams. I can deal with difficult problems. I can handle difficult, you know, kind of relation relationships and and challenges. Like this is all the stuff I do and, and I love games. So like, come on, give, give me a shot at this. Um, and obviously man- managed to convince them because a job offer came through and uh, and it's like right okay crap i'm i'm making games now
2: <laughs> oh, wow.
1: um and and you know super different from you know again i, I kind of walked into that team and you know a lot of guys had gone through qa and you know they'd been in you know qa testers that had joined and and become designers or you know people that had studied art and become artists or or you know 3d environment artists or, you know, engineers that had gone and done computer science and, and took up programming. And, and I'd kind of, you know, worked in industries that weren't to do with games. I mean, the software one kind of had a lot of parallels,
0: okay. um,
1: but I I basically built my career as a, as a leader and a project manager and a troubleshooter that used my gaming passion to kind of get me in the door uh, for my first gaming job. And then from then you know shipped a few games dealt a few dealt with a few tough problems you know which which always you know helps uh helps build build your reputation and um and that was my that was my kind of starting games i guess sort of 2003 so what 26 years old i guess um yeah so so fairly late by some barometers but still still kind of young enough to learn i guess by others nice <laughs> that's
3: yeah that's amazing um so so you worked at a couple different studios throughout that kind of time period between when you started in the industry and then uh when you joined rare um but I, were you uh were you involved at sumo digital with uh sega and sonic all-star racers with banjo kazooie
1: <laughs> yeah your first
3: exp- that, like working with rare first time
1: that that is that is exactly my my first working experience and and this is this kind of goes into some of the i think nuance and and quirkiness of rare so mm-hmm. you know obviously i think five and a half years at codemasters shipped a ton of stuff that that's a whole separate conversation in itself join midway games again a fairly well publicized uh, um Set of events that happen with Midway, but mm-hmm. even Midway kind of has these links to rare and Nintendo because they did all the killer art killer instinct arcade machines and right. um so again you know d- definitely some some links there and then joined joined sumo digital um i i you know I knew the team uh, and the leaders of of that studio pretty well great great company mm-hmm. great people uh and got involved in Sonic and Sega all stars racing and Literally one of the first sets of conversations we had was hey for um when you're working in third party so Rare's as a first party studio cuz it's owned by owned by Xbox when you're working in third party say you go being a third party publisher you always go into these kind of conversations which is hey is there something we can do special for the Xbox version or the um you know Nintendo version or the 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 a PlayStation version that has some exclusive content that, you know, if someone has multiple devices, maybe there's a um, a reason they'd want to, you know, buy one version over another. And that, that still happens to this day. And I think for Nintendo, we put the Miis in, and I can't remember what we did for Sony, but there was this whole conversation about like, hey, what Xbox character could we put in? Um, and, and, you know, the, these things kind of start on whiteboards, they get brainstormed and uh and someone was like oh rare have got some really cool characters i wonder if they'd like let us put banjo in so <laughs> we speak to our contacts at microsoft and they they link us to uh, um it, it was shin who was the business manager at rare at the time and you know so we're on this email thread that about like hey you, you know using banjo and and rare and my my impression from rare at the time was and they were like yeah, we're open to this, but we we're going to design it. Mm. Cuz because, because it's got to fit in with Banjo and the universe and and, and I'm like, okay, like and that's you kind of get that kind of very like high creative um you know we 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 care a lot about our IP and and what we do. Mm-hmm. Um but until that point, and I'd been working in the games industry in the UK for I guess seven years at that point, I knew no one from Rare. So wow. so basically, you know, my last role at Codemasters, I was running worldwide development, knew pretty much everyone in the UK industry, but knew no one from Rare. I <laughs> then went up to Midway Games, again, ran that studio for a year, was in sumo digital for a year, year and a half, and and that was my first contact from Rare. And I I'm kind of and at that point you start to then go, okay what are rare doing? Um, like how, how can, and of course I knew who rare was, but how Mm -hmm. can this studio exist? And then you kind of dig into it and, and, you know, obviously like the secrecy and, you know, people and transitions and, and it was just this studio. I just don't like, just kind of kept itself secret And that was part of what rare was. Mm -hmm. Um, but, you know, super great to go land, uh, land Banjo and, and, you know, Rare were involved in the design of the vehicle. And, you know, we had a guy at, at Sumo, uh, a chap called Tom Salter, that wrote, wrote the fur shader that made Bat. Like, so we literally had to write a new piece of graphics architecture in Sonic and Sega All-Stars racing because nothing else had fur apart from Banjo. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, nice. To get Banjo looking like Rare needed him to look to fit mm-hmm. in with what we'd kind of agreed to do. And, and it, of course it all comes in super tight. Um, Tom Salton, the reason I m- mentioned that name is he now works in Redmond for um, one of the Microsoft studios doing some, some kind of future stuff. So, oh, cool. um, so you get this nice kind of like, a, as you work through different games and projects, you know, people come and go and, and work on different things. So, so yeah, that was my first, my first kind of deal with rare Um and then we actually had a lead designer who was a lead designer on Sonic and Sega All-Stars Racing, a chap called Travis Ryan, um, that within maybe a couple of weeks of us finishing the project or nearly finishing the project, he came to me and said, hey, I, I'm, I'm, here's my resignation. Uh, I'm going to work for Rare. <laughs> I'm like, okay, um, you know, wish you all the best. And you know, Travis is a great guy. I still keeping contact with him now. Did, did an mm-hmm. indie game called uh, Dashy Crashy. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely checking out it's a lot of fun and uh, so I, I do his leaving speech get the whole team together hey Travis leaving you know good, great guy wish him all the best and uh, and you know I hope and it, I go hey I, I hope he might he likes making avatar games you know and I, I just <laughs> made this This, this like, like just you know kind of funny like just poking poking yeah. funny and and uh, and then of course you know Travis, Travis goes off only to uh yeah, to have me as his boss again, probably about <laughs> nine, 10 months later, oh, man. Uh, which, uh, which again, is just the, you know, the funny kind of people side of, uh, of, of the studio. And again, yeah, Travis is a great, great guy and, and, uh, was, was very, very, very passionate about rare in the studio. So, mm-hmm. so I joined rare in Feb 11, uh, and I was, I was kind of talking to Microsoft in the, the sort of end of, of 2010 um, and talk, you know, talking about kind of UK leadership roles in gaming, and and you know really what options there were there, and that that turned into rare, which uh, which again kind of you know on one hand blew my mind because again I, I remember playing rare games, and and you always you always kind of look at that, but then the other side of that was just uh, like yeah I I would absolutely love to come in and run rare and like because again i thought about all that kind of you know the secrecy and what it's done and you know all the great things it's accomplished over the years and it's like yeah like i would absolutely want to come and take that job and and you know see if i can help that team do do even even better things awesome yeah so quite the journey (laughs) yeah yeah a lot of just not like, I think when you do start, and I don't think it goes with any job, you, you just kind of go from the next thing to the next thing. And you never really look back because you're always looking forward. Like there's always okay. a project you're going to ship or there's always, you know, there's always something that's, that's occupying your time.
3: Yeah. So your earliest years at rare kind of, um, was it, a, obviously you'd worked at those, those three other studios. Um, was it a, Bit of a culture shock going into that environment where you know they're so secretive and it's this grand uh, farm in the middle of of nowhere practically. Um, what what was it kind of like in the the earliest days there? Was it uh, was it a tough adjustment or was it kind of refreshing?
1: Uh, no, it was it was interesting. I, I think is the word I'd use to describe it. So I mean, obviously, like I was fairly well established in the in the uk industry so Mm -hmm. um i guess like most jobs it's when you transition from one company to another um and again partly because it's rare partly like because um you know our our press reports on things in a weird way you've kind of got to do things in secret a little bit so Mm -hmm. we didn't really and you know and sumo were doing some work with microsoft at the time so there was always that kind of hey, you know, Microsoft hiring um, someone senior from a team that they're doing work with and not wanting to disrupt that relationship. And that relationship still super strong because Sumo do a, a ton of stuff for Microsoft to this day. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I kind of had a couple of dinners uh, with a few uh, execs and then it was like, hey, like you should come in and, and meet some of the leadership in the studio. Um, but of course, because, you know, and think about the Travis story I told, like there were people at Rare that, essentially knew me. So of Mm -hmm. course, if I go rock up and start walking around rare, um, like, you know, there's, there's every chance that, um, that, you know, people talk and, and it all kind of comes out in the open. Um, not to mention for the people at rare, like they hadn't ever brought an external senior leader into their business before like that, like in the whole history of rare, all, like, you know, A, the the, stampers run the ran the studio for a, for a ton of time, taking it from a family business to what it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Mark Betridge was involved. You know, you have people like Greg that were there a long time. So they'd never really brought someone external into that. Um, and, you know, Scott Henson was over from the U.S. Part of his remit was like, hey, I you know, to find a, a long-term studio leader. Mm-hmm. And um, so my first visit into Rare was about 10 o'clock at night. Um, so, oh, wow it was all in darkness uh they'd asked some of the leadership team to stay around to meet someone that they were thinking about bringing into the business um and scott had done a a presentation at at rare saying hey we are talking about um bringing someone into the studio and he put a picture of batman up on a slide Uh, (laughs) just just going like hey we're we're not going to talk about it yet uh, until it happens so i went in like say about nine ten o'clock at night and sat and Sat in a room and talked to them about you know projects and goals and you know hopes and dreams and what what they what rare was to them Um, and it just got me a good grounding Um, and rare was rare was in transition at at that point as well Mm -hmm. you know it was it was just I think when I met that the team I think Connect was just about to launch so you know they'd made Connect Sports like it was so that would have been late two thousand and ten like. It hadn't gone huge at that point. Um, Mm -hmm. So it was a lot of like, hey, let's see how this thing goes. Um, But uh, for me, it was really a case of, you know, like, get in, understand what a first-party studio and part of Microsoft means because that that was new to me. Um, And then it was good because you had people like Lee Shunemann and Greg and other people that knew what made Rare rare because they'd Mm -hmm. been there for a ton of years, you know, Louise O'Connor, Ryan Stevenson, like, you know, a ton of people that have been in the studio a ton of times. Um, But then you had, you know, people like Scott Henson that were in from Microsoft that kind of, you know, really gave me a really good education on what, how the Xbox business worked and, you know, what Rare's role as a first party studio and how it could work with Xbox. Um, So that first year was just absorb and learn and, and figure out, you know, who's in the studio and, like and and what struck me immediately is like hey this is a studio full of super talented people like you know insanely talented some of the best mm-hmm. people i I'd, I'd worked with um and and that was that was kind of year 1 i guess
0: oh, wow <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so uh, at what point did you ascend to actual studio head
1: yeah it's i mean the the details are blurry there cuz you you always <laughs> you kind of ship projects and, and, um, when I come in, you know, they just start or we were just starting an export season two. Um, we wanted to get something out essentially a year after the first one. So we worked with big park and, and you get very much into a, like, okay, how, how do we, how do we get this done and make it great? Um, and, and in that world, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of leadership, there's leadership at Microsoft as leadership at rare. Um, and, so you know for me to just go in and go hey i'm in charge now i'm gonna go make all the decisions like a it's pretty flawed b mm-hmm. everyone will go hey yeah. who's, who's this idiot and why do we listen to him um so so you very much take an approach where you go in and it's like okay you know here's all the stuff i've done before here's the experience i've got like i'm gonna help us achieve our goals and you you help the team solve some problems and we do a bit of reorganization and uh I can't. I can't remember when we did it formally, um, but you know, we. It was very much like, "Hey, let's get the roadmap of rare laid out. Let's figure out what we're going to go do." Um, and as we operate as a leadership team, uh, you know, I, I'm definitely a big fan in in just being honest and being transparent. And and what I tried to do as the new person in the company was just really. Sort of push on. I think the opportunities Rare had, and and just try and challenge what we'd done before. Um, and this is, you know, if you've been in a company for 10 years, it's it's kind of hard to be objective about what they do right and what they do wrong. And mm-hmm. uh, and I think any business can can do things. I mean, even Rare now can. Like, there's always things we can do better. And whenever we bring new people into the studio, we ask them the same. Like, hey, come in, question things. You know, challenge what we're doing. Uh, so that was really the mode I I came in. Um, now, of, of course, for me, you know, my aspirations were always, you know, to to be the the person to lead Rare uh, going forward. But it, it's not it's not really about me. It's about what's what's the right thing for the studio and the team. And and you know, my job fundamentally is just to make sure that the talented team at Rare can go and do amazing things. Like and like i'm I'm happy when rares doing its best stuff like that's that's my motivation,
3: yeah um so so after being there a while and and kind of bringing us closer to present day and and the engagement with the community um that kind of brings us to the uh questions about that um the biggest one being the fan visit you know was absolutely an unprecedented move by Rare to kind of open up and invite fans in. Um, what was the process of, uh, I assume the team pitched that to you, or if it was, you know, kind of collaborative to decide that? I know that they said they were talking about it as far back as last summer. Um, kind of what was the approach there? What was it like? And kind of how is the, the community engagement, um, how's that going for you guys and, and for you know the people that have been there a long time and for the newer people?
1: Yeah, it, it's. I mean, it, it was a fantastic thing for us to do, and and again, super humbling. And and I think for as we like, the, I'm just trying to think think what's the best way to frame this. Like as as you think about what a studio is going to do in the future, like kind of most of it is what you're going to go build and what you're going to make and what you're going to create. Um, but there's another big part of it, which is just you know what, how are you going to how are you gonna be as a studio and what do you represent like what what does rare represent what does rare really mean what does you know what does that mean for how the team show up what does that mean for our culture so as well as you know looking at our business and opportunity and and what we did we we really did a lot of soul searching which is like what what is special about rare um and I guess part of my um kind of objectivity when I walked into the studio was like hey you know it's all and good being a best kept secret and not letting anyone behind the doors. And that kind of works when there is no internet and there is no, um, and you know, Lee, Lee Loveday, who's, who's awesome. (laughs) Does, does a great job, you know, writing scribes. And that's the, Mm -hmm. the kind of, um, the, the riddles that tell you what goes on behind the doors of rare or Christmas cards or, or all the other crazy kind of, um, um, sort of easter eggs that people people tried to piece two and two together Mm -hmm. and and really part of that was you know and and some of the new people we brought into the studio is like if you look at you know rare's got a a whole a great fandom and you know we had obviously twitter and some of our social channels but it's like what is what is a a really connected studio with its you know, with its audience and with its fans and with people that love its game. Like, what does that really look like? And are we really doing that? Because everyone says like, hey, you know, we're fan centric and we want to, you know, like we have fans. And it's like, but if 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 they're kept at arm's length and we're not really going to go engage with them, like that that's not really true. Um, so we, you know, we challenged ourselves and. And you know, Rare Replay, like the reason that originated was A, let's celebrate it, but also, you know, it, it was and I, I think I said this in press, you know, it was a it was a kind of love letter to to the fans of Rare and the people that had supported us through through all these years. And for Sea of Thieves, you know, before Sea of Thieves was even pirates, it was like, hey, you know, like what we were inspired by is just this notion of like players creating stories together and how people play modern games and and they play modern games and they talk about them on social channels and they stream them and they share them and they you know make videos about them and they like you know it's as much about what people play as how they talk about it and how they invite their friends and you know whether you call it shared world or all the innovations on xbox live about you know having groups of players that you want to play play with and Mm -hmm. the opportunity to meet new friends and and all of those new, exciting things in gaming, like we wanted to make sure what we built like really was a kind of quintessentially rare, but also, you know, really took a good look at like where we we felt, you know, rare's view of where the industry is going and what do we think is cool and what inspires us. Um, so, v- so like super early on, we were like, look, Sea of Thieves is a game about, you know, it's 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 a game for our players, and that's very different. Saying, "Hey, it's a game for our rare." Fans. I mean, we absolutely love that it is, and we want it to be. And, and like I say, it's it's definitely as rare a game as as rare have made. But mm-hmm. we really wanted it to be a game about our players. So, so very very early on, it was like, "Hey, you know, the way the way we want to talk about the game is is we want players to talk about what they did in Sea of Thieves, and it sounds quite." kind of highfalutin, and and it's like hey you know we're not going to talk about the game as a feature set and we're not going to talk about the game as like here's the story you're going to go play through and everyone's going to go have the same experience we want to have players talk about the awesome adventures they had with their friends in sea of thieves and then you go okay so how do we go do that and i think even for our ether reveal the first one we were even talking about then, like, you know, is there a world where we show people playing the game? And because through our internal kind of pitches and green lights, that's how we'd shown the game a lot. You know, we'd shown, um, we'd shown people playing the game and their reactions. Um, so so for us, um, the idea of showing people playing the game, I think we we locked on pretty early. And then you just get into the... Okay, wouldn't it be like, and and you brainstorm this. Hey, wouldn't it be awesome if we invited, you know, some people that were really passionate about Sea of Thieves and and really passionate about Rare into the studio to play the game, and we and we, you know, like filmed them and and that became our reveal. And it was all you know completely genuine. Um, and we'd looked at other games that had done reaction based things before, and it's like, well, no one's really done that. Like, and wouldn't that be cool if we could? show our best foot forward and go look we feel so strongly about this game we invited a load of people in and got them to play it and we filmed them and then we made a trailer out of that um so we all got super excited about that early and then it's just like really kind of getting the game in the right place to do that uh the funny thing is is obviously when you start pitching that and go hey for e3 we're going to go build a cinematic trailer which everyone does um but the other thing we're going to do is we're going to invite some fans and competition winners into the studio 3 weeks before E3 <laughs> and we're going to film them and it's going to be awesome and you're just going to have to trust me that this thing's going to work <laughs> and and this is at the point where all of our E3 reviews you know we do tons and tons of reviews and everyone else's assets getting progressively better and I've got 50% of my sea of thieves story which no one's <laughs> seen apart from me showing a powerpoint presentation going hey look we're going to do this and just trust me, it will be, it will be amazing. Um, and, uh, and, you know, we built our broadcast lab in the center of rare, which kind of enabled us to capture all the streams together. And, uh, and yeah, we were kind of like, you know, Joe and, and Greg and, and Mike and the team, like we, we were bullish that this was the way we should show Sea of Thieves for the first time. Um, and, you know, partly because it was different, like, and partly it was like, Hey, no, one's done this before um but really because we felt the reactions and what players will say you know jeff and 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 the others that that were were kind of um that came in and played what they said about sea of thieves was way more important than what we would ever say so i like i can stand up on stage and say anything i can speak to press but of course it's genuine and of course it's honest but it's kind of my job to evangelize rare and talk about the studio and talk about our games um same as it is any other studio head or producer or designer like but players that play like that's authentic and if you look at the way players play games now like they play and they talk about it i mean like you know we just launched Recore, and like my twitter feed's full of people going hey like recall's awesome and i've just mm-hmm. done this and 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 that's what people do and and that was really key to us for sea of thieves like and from announced to you know when we get players in a closed beta to right through when we want people like you know playing the game you know when hopefully you know there's millions of players playing it and they can all they're all sharing their adventures and talking about why why what they did in Sea of Thieves and why it was cool like so it it's a strand all the way through from the concept of that game right through to the way we want people to play it um, you know when it's when it's out.
3: All right. Well, looks like uh we've,
1: we've hit that hour mark. Um so thank if, you uh, Craig if you so guys, much. If you guys want to do a few more things, we we can do a few more things. I realize I've like hogged the time and talked a lot, so I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, I, I oh,
2: oh that's fine. I mean, you're are you are our guest, so you you have way more interesting things to say than we do.
1: <laughs> uh, not
0: at all, not at all. <laughs> um So, yeah, I suppose there are like one or two more little questions we can sneak in if you're sure you don't hey, go mind. For it. no, absolutely. It's fun. Um I wanted to ask um with the uh the fan visit obviously the uh the way it was done was you set a competition for people to make a video showing their excitement. Yeah. Um did you did you like personally sit down and like watch a lot of these yourself or was it sort of a team below you or
1: Yeah, I mean it, it was primarily uh Bobby joe emma um like all things i mean when you when you do something like that it's important to set some principles um yeah so we so we kind of said look you know there's a team of people and they'll review everything um so you don't get into a world where you know people are reviewing things separately there's something i like that joe doesn't or like just anything weird like that um so so my my kind of um my sort of involvement with it was like you know hey like okay let's let's do it um and then there's the kind of budget side, hey, how much is this thing gonna cost okay like like let's let's sign that off um but really, if you think about it in day to day terms, it would normally be um Joe sending me an email that would be like, "Hey, like we've had twenty six entries, like it's day five, um you should check out this one and this one." Um, so he'd literally send me links to like, Hey, you should, you should go check these out. And of course, when you go do that, and because we put the sea of thieves hashtag in it, um, naturally, like, you know, my, my evenings would then just turn into, uh, okay, I'm going to just watch them all. (laughs) Um, But, um, but, you know, regardless of what I thought of them, it was, it was clearly the group that we just, you know, denoted with the, um, that would be the reviewers that, that made the decisions um, around like which, which ones were, uh, um, you know, which ones were, were the ones that made it. But I, I mean, I, and I said this to, to Jeff when we, uh, when we had dinner, but it was like, you know, Jeff and Mandy's video. Um, yeah. It, like literally like just, again, it, it was one of those moments for me, which was just like, we haven't even released this game yet like we've shown a trailer we've talked about it a little bit and and like people people being jeff before i before i I had the pleasure of of meeting him in the studio like (laughs) genuinely love what what we're building and are genuinely excited about it Mm -hmm. um and and part of us part of part of doing the competition was like hey if we're going to get people in let's make sure we get people in that that kind of care care about C of these and care about rare which is why we we did the half and half approach um but yeah i just remember you know and and again your your wife mandy stole the show with uh with her reactions and like <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not sure my marriage can take it um please, please <laughs> release this game rare yeah. um and i'm just sitting there just, just like you know a, a grin like I, i've got a big smile on my face now thinking about it just going that is so cool like that is unbelievably cool um and you know same for for a ton of the other videos you know Olivier and and uh you know jackie like just Mm -hmm. those times, you know chad's poem and Mm -hmm. um just like all that stuff and and that for us like when you build something and building games is hard and it takes a lot of effort and passion and all that stuff like just seeing people like Want to talk about it and want to get excited about it, and even you guys, you know, on your podcast, just just being excited for Sea of Thieves and for Rare and for the games like that—that's awesome. Like, because you know, for us, it's more than a job; it's about building something that people will love and care about and want to play. Um, so this, for us, is like just like these things all validate that we're doing something that matters.
2: Right. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's it's an honor to be able to do this podcast have you on it and just even talk about these things like i mean rare's always put out games but you know it feels like this last year we got two you know we got we got uh two basically two games announced at once whereas you know previously it's like if you get one a year then you know that was lucky that we just got all this information all at once and that was really what i think inspired all of us to start doing this is because it was just something that we'd love from our childhood. It felt like everyone was talking about it again, and this is like the perfect time to start, you know, beating the rare evangelism drum, you know, and just get <laughs> uh, try to get everyone as excited about it as we were. Mm-hmm. It's It's been an honor to do this podcast and just try to spread the word as much as I can. And I do, in real life, too, I tr- I've been trying to get, like, everyone in the office, hey, this, when Sea of Thieves comes out, we all got to get get this, right? You know, and stuff like that. So it's it's definitely been an honor to... Be a voice
1: in the community. (laughs) No, and it it means so much to us as well because, like I say, it it's. I think part of part of building games now is is connecting, you know, and depending on whether you want to use the marketing term or not, but it's like connecting with your audience. Mm -hmm. Um, And a lot of people say it, but I think for us, like it, it's it's really it's really understanding what it means to be a studio in touch with its community. Um, And, you know, we've, like, I think when I joined Rare, you know, there was Lee uh, doing everything Rare community. And what he was actually doing was actually writing. And Mm -hmm. he did some stuff on Twitter. Um, And we had a couple of people kind of interstitially helping him over times when we launched. um, But just, you know, like, you know, we hired Bobby, we hired Emma, we grew that community team, we grew... The engagement team like just that whole what does it mean to be a 21st century studio that actually you know produces content and makes videos and you know we, we hired uh our our video team which are awesome um just to to make sure like if we're going to go if we're going to go do this if we're going to go be community centric and and really embrace what we want to be like we need to bring in awesome people that can do this that care about it as much as we do and and really live it like that's that's the key like it's it's like let's not talk about it let's go do it and uh and i think you know what what's what i feel super proud about is just the last year you've seen rare kind of actively be out there with the people in the studio that that fundament like it, it's it's just genuine like we we love what we do. We love what we're making. We, we feel very honored that that people love it too and, and want to talk about it and, and be excited about what we do. Yeah, awesome. <laughs> um, Do you guys have any other questions? <laughs> no, I think, uh, I, think I think we've covered I think pretty much everything.
3: Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, at I least you so. didn't
1: hit... At least you didn't hit me with all the uh, all the standard press ones, which is like, hey, when's, Re- when's Sea of Thieves coming out? And Right. Like, we play it. Yeah, like, uh, every
2: time we were in those Twitch chats, I was just like seeing, those are like every five seconds, people were just asking the
0: same thing. So like,
2: yeah, if we have Craig on, we're not going to try to ask those things, because <laughs> he's got to get tired of that.
0: Yeah. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, if you want a good drinking game, seriously, go into any kind of rare Twitch stream. Every time someone asks for the CFT's release date, every time someone asks for Banjo Three, any you know anything like that, just take it yeah. shot. You'll be drunk you in 20 it minutes. More than five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> but,
1: but I mean, what what's good for me? And you guys can tell me whether you think this is true. But I I think the narrative's definitely changed around rare. Yes. Um, because I mean, I always read all the comments anyway, and uh, yeah. and and again took took umbrage with certain members of the press that wanted to write a. Uh, a very skewed narrative that w- that was untrue. Um, but when you read the press that talk about the team and talk about, you know, and it, it's stupid stuff like, Hey, all the good people have left. And, and just mm-hmm. those like a massively inaccurate, but also just like, if you think about people that are in the studio that have been there and, and been loyal, you know, rare, um, you know, kind of servants for, for many, many years. Um, like, just that, that stuff just isn't isn't right. So it's really awesome to just see the narrative change. And now when I look at anything we do with Sea of Thieves or the stuff we did with Rare Replay, like, it isn't that. It isn't the, hey, we hate what you do, go do this instead. It's like, oh, this is awesome, and, like, can it be this? And, like, I'll see if Thieves forums and, and what I've seen, because uh, I, I kind of jump into that from time to time, like, just super positive, and there's ideas for designs and there's, you know, what people want to do in the game and, and you know, it's actually it's community and you guys doing the podcast, like it's engaging in the right way. Because we can actually use that stuff. You know, we're genuinely interested in what people want to see from Rare and how how they want us to engage and what stuff they want to do in Sea of Thieves, because that that might shape our thinking.
0: Yeah, Great. definitely. Yeah. Definitely yeah. and I've noticed um in general, as you said, the narrative does seem to be shifting. And also even the critical voices that are still there, they seem to become, they seem to have become a little bit more constructive criticism. Whereas, like five years ago, you might have been flooded with comments, like you know, all the good ones left. Um, oh, they they've messed up their IPs. I think nowadays you still see the occasional, you know, oh, I still wish we'd had this IP or that IP. But it, there seems to be a lot less bile if you. get... I don't know, yeah. it's kind of hard to talk about because, you know, you're the head of Rare and it's, I feel like I shouldn't even mention it, but it's good that you brought it up because right. unfortunately you'll always have naysayers, uh, oh, of but it's, it's it's good to see, as you say, the overall tone seems to have shifted significantly yeah. in the last mm-hmm. 18 months.
2: I mean, there's, there will obviously still be people that I think were, are going to need to play Sea of Thieves before they accept that it's actually a good game. Right, they've gotten that mindset so much, and I think the narrative is going to get even more positive as soon as that title hits. Like all the all of the people like us who are big fans who understand the history of the studio, like we're already on board. But yeah, there there will always be a few pessimists, and I think a lot of them are going to be converted though pretty soon when that game hits, or even when the beta hits.
3: (laughs) Right.
1: Yeah. And, and that's it. And it, I mean, again, it goes back to what we said at the start is, you know, rare building a new IP for rare and an Xbox is, is no small task. Um, and you know, we need to deliver and we need to make something amazing. Like that's, that's on, that's on me and the team to, to go do that. But, um, you know, if you look at games now that people enjoy, like they enjoy it in a very much more public way than they ever used to, even five mm-hmm. years ago. Um, and that that fascinates me, just as a as where our industry is going. And uh, like I used to read the comments five years ago. Like I, I read the comments before I joined Rare. I still took the job. I read the comments when I was in the job, and and I still read them now. So as as the team do. So um, it's just good that we can do something with them now, and uh, and actually you know help help build something that people will love.
0: Awesome. Brilliant. <laughs> I think that's um, the perfect place to sign off, really. Um, Craig, again, thank you so much for doing this, uh, especially at such short notice this weekend and, you know, taking part of a Saturday to speak to us. I think that's <laughs> unprecedented for any guest we've had, let alone, you know, someone with such a major role as yourself. So it's it's been really good to talk to you today. No, like, likewise.
1: Like, thank you guys for just the support the advocacy the passion you know you want rare to be a success and and thanks for doing the podcast like it's it's awesome like I said, I do listen from time to time. I do hear the mentions. I do hear you talk about the team and stuff. So just thanks for for supporting Rare. It's appreciated. <laughs> Not a absolute problem. pleasure.
2: I feel like it's the least we can do. <laughs> as 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 such fans, you know, as, as we are. Like as I said, we we're, we're in some ways well, we don't have our job invested in in the recessive square like you did. But we, I think, we feel that we still want the company to succeed in the same way. Just because, as fans, we keep we want these games to keep coming out. We want them to do well, and we want you know the greater gaming community to appreciate it like we do. And that's just kind of what we try to do here with the podcast and Rare Friends. And it, it's it's been a wild ride. And, and that if you told me a year ago that on our year anniversary of doing the podcast we'd have uh, Craig Duncan on, you know, <laughs> I would have said <laughs> you were crazy. So it, it it means a lot for you to be on with us.
3: Yeah. Alright, well, <laughs> for all our listeners out there, thank you for tuning in as always. Follow us on uh, Twitter, we got our YouTube channel, and of course our, our own website, rarefriends.net. So, uh, thank you everyone for tuning in this week, and we hope to have you all back with us again next time.
2: Yeah, everyone have a great weekend.
0: See you later, guys. Bye. Cheers.